0: Welcome back. Welcome back to the very best self podcast. It's me. It's your host, Victoria Brown. And so today's episode, when I tell you guys that I enjoyed every single minute of this conversation, like I I really did. I enjoyed every single minute. Um. So today's guest is Pat Dossett and he is a former Navy SEAL, uh, which I feel like I could have done an entire episode just talking about his life as a Navy seal and what that training was like uh, and you know the the physical and mental grueling experience that he went through to get to where he was but beyond that um, you know he eventually after nine years of service left the Navy seal teams uh, and went on to you know study business at the Wharton School of Business uh, he worked at Google for some time and now he uh, we talk about what talked about what he's doing most recently which is his company called Called Made For. So he is the co founder of this company called Made For, um, which are simple practices and principles that you can apply to your life to just basically do well, do good, live life better. Uh, and so there's a 10 month program that he created, and he co founded this with uh, Blake Mykowski, who is the creator of Tom's Shoes. So just super all around. Interesting guy, but wildly inspiring in the way that I find I like to lean into people who are inspiring in a simple way. And so, what I mean by that is, like, I don't think, you know, I don't think Pat is waking up every single day being like, You know, let me speak in a way that's inspiring or how can I inspire? I think he just really has committed himself to finding principles and mindsets to make his life better and to make the lives of people around him better and to share those practices and to share those principles. And it doesn't need to be something that's like overwhelmingly difficult or overwhelmingly in your face of this is inspiring content. Please, you know, Consume this inspiring content. Like the world doesn't want that. The world doesn't respond to that, I don't think. Uh, and so everything that he shares, I think, is inspiring because it's very simple. Um, I'm going to stop talking about it and we're going to get into this episode because I know that you're going to love it as much as I do. Uh, and I know that you're going to want to write down a lot of the things that he has to say uh, and feel kind of motivated to kick ass in your life just by simply listening to how he got to where he is and and what he's working on today. So let's get into it. All right, you guys, welcome back to the very best self podcast. I have Pat Dossett on today. I am very excited about this interview. Just given who you are, what your background is, what I've learned about you thus far and what you're creating right now Um, is, it's just, it's a lot of stuff that I'm hugely interested in. So I just want to say thank you first for just being on the pod.
1: Amazing, Victoria. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes. So I guess, you know, what you're working on right now is currently, or what you've been working on, I guess, since the height of the pandemic, really, um, is a, your company, which is called Made For. Uh, and so this company is co-founded, uh, with the Tom Shoes guy, Blake <laughs> Mykowski. Yep. Uh, who I actually have met before, by the way. That's like such a random, random thing, but I interned in LA. This was like, Oh my God, like 10 years ago. No, no uh, and they had like a giant warehouse and I was working for this woman um, and she was working on marketing for them. And anyways, I was like following her around cause I was her intern. And so I was like at like their original offices. No, uh, no way. Kind of, yeah. Like I saw one of the original shoes that had like cardboard as the sole. It's like kind of crazy
1: That's so wild The um, fun story about that original office And I I obviously was not a part of Tom's And I was not there when this happened But one of my teammates at Made For uh, was there And she said um, at one time they split the warehouse With the Red Hot Chili Peppers And so the Red Hot Chili Peppers were recording I don't know if it was Californication Or one of their big albums And they were always like playing all day long And then they would come over and hang out And like poke their head in And like want to grab free shoes or use the bathroom And so um, yeah, that's funny
0: That is very funny. That is awesome. Um, So anyways, you're co-founding this made for company with uh, Blake. And so this is a 10-month program that applies the principles of modern neurosciences, uh, physiology, psychology, uh, to make your brain and body better, which is like something that I think, or I know actually everyone and anyone who listens to this podcast is like into Um, any, as we talk about how to be better mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's just how to be better. Um, so we're going to get to that, but I kind of want to work backwards because you started out as a Navy SEAL, which is like one of the most incredible, incredible accomplishments that any human being, um, can possibly do. So I want to talk about your life as a, as a Navy SEAL and kind of how you found yourself in that world of things and and what your experience was like and what drew you to it.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, uh it's so wild. You know, I feel oftentimes we hear about Navy SEALs and, you know, it gets put through the media or through movies and television and whatnot, or these these superhuman folks that do are just different. They're wired differently than the rest of the world. And um, just
0: built different.
1: Yeah. Just built like born different, built different, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I'll be the first to say, you know, I, I grew up, I was the Husky kid. I was never really good at anything, but I read a book when I was in seventh grade about the seal teams. And, um, for whatever reason, I just thought like, man, that sounds amazing. Sounds like such a fun, cool job to be a part of. And I think I would like to, to work on that. And so I was fortunate enough to get a slot to the Naval Academy for college, and then out of the academy went to seal training and the thing that that struck me about seal training is you know you show up day 1 there are a lot of really motivated really fit people that show up and everyone goes through a bunch of screening tests and everyone has done a lot to get to that point to start training my class we started with 220 people everyone had everything they needed you know everything they needed to be successful in training and even when you're going through training they they actually do this like crawl, walk, run approach. So they teach you how to swim, they teach you how to run, they teach you how to do the obstacle course, and they give you all the tools you need to be successful. But for whatever reason, as you're going through training, people decide that they don't want to continue, they quit, right? And so five weeks in, that 220 was down to 150, six weeks in, it was down to 36, and then ended up graduating 17 out of the original 220 that started. And what I found... I think what I found really interesting about the 17 people is that they were rather unremarkable looking. You wouldn't have been able to pick them out from a lineup. And in fact, all the biggest, fastest, strongest people, those that most looked the part. And I think every everyone that showed up to SEAL training with the SEAL tattoo already on their body somewhere, those are all the first people to go away. They didn't, stay, they didn't stick with it. And so I just thought that was like, I think it was so wild. It's like, wow, you know, the people that you think – are going to make it aren't actually the people that are there at the end. And so, um, there's something around what's the mindset that those, those that are successful have and how are they leaning into and continuing to build that mindset even under, you know, really challenging circumstances. So, um, yeah, that was my, my entry into the, into the SEAL teams. And I, I was fortunate enough to spend, you know, just over nine years, uh, in the teams working, you know, overseas in a bunch of different environments, really with, um, just world-class professionals, people that are always putting the team and the mission uh, and their teammates above their, their self-interest and, um, just an awesome community to be a part of.
0: Wow. 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 Um, first of all, you're right. The media and everything movies, they all paint, uh, you guys as the biggest heroes that there are and there ever were or would be. Um, but like, you'll never convince me that that's not the truth. (laughs) There's, yeah. And there's so much to unpack with what you just said. Um, so much to unpack. I mean, I, I crack up. At, you know how how often is that in life, though? The people who like you know yell the loudest, or you know make the most noise, or have the tattoo, or do the thing. Not that tattoos are bad. It's not that. Um, but do you know what I'm saying? Like the ones who are like, I don't know in life i feel like it's it's different it's it's it, it i feel like that is not unique to the navy seal experience i feel like it's it's very much the same across the board people who kind of make the most racket or the most noise sometimes or the ones who seem like they're perfect for it i remember when i moved out to la this is a little bit of a offshoot, but it's in the same realm of things. But I was doing, um, I was moved out to become a TV host, right? And so I'm in this this program to to uh, learn how to do TV hosting. And the woman who was running the entire program, she was like, "You'll look around this room, and there'll be someone in this room who you think who has a better shot of getting mm-hmm. struck by lightning than becoming an actual TV host and making it in this business, and that will be the one that will make it. That will be the person that makes it. You know, I don't know why that is."
1: I think it I think it's awesome because oftentimes we place so much emphasis on the packaging or the wrapping or you know the almost the external factors of what we think define success and we don't pay enough attention to what's going on underneath that packaging like what's what's someone's mindset how much they want something how much they're willing to work for it and what I think is cool about that is when you realize that that's where the real value ha- is had or where the real gains are that all of a sudden you recognize that anything is possible, that I can change, I can achieve whatever I want to. Um, and it has nothing to do with what my God-given talents are, or my natural abilities. Like if I really want to commit to something and work to something, then I can achieve it. And I think that's pretty cool. It doesn't matter if it's a SEAL teams or if it's, you know, whatever it is, being a, a newscaster or being a, you know, a top Peloton instructor. I mean, I think it's anything is impossible, anything is possible if you want it. So.
0: Or a top soul cycle instructor.
1: Or, a top soul cycle instructor, yes, even better.
0: <laughs> yes. um I think, yeah, I think that's true. I think people are maybe obsessed with looking the part, yeah. And instead of actually living, the part. And there's a very, very big difference. And so we focus, especially now in the age of social media and everyone, it's, it is a lot about what you look like, what it looks like on the outside. And so people are just trying to find this polished version of themselves on the outside and, and, and instead of really focusing on what's within. And I think you're right. That's the difference maker. And beyond that, I'm actually curious though, to go back to what you said earlier. So you said they give you all the tools that you need to be successful, right? They teach you how. To the what the crawl, walk, run approach, and how to swim, how to do all these things. Do they do they also in seal training? Do they go into the mindset?
1: or they, no. Yeah, Is you know they all they, about they, physical. They didn't. When I was going through training, it was kind of it's kind of like look, you show up with what you got, and we're going to run you through this thing, and we're agnostic to who's who's there at the end, and. And it, it's always, you know, 80 to 85% a trip and you just, they, they discover who, who has what it takes to make it through. I think now we do a much better job of preparing folks and st- talking about the mental game and, um, what are some things and some mindsets you can leverage as you're, as you're going through and, um, to handle the stress that's gonna, that you're going to encounter. Um, so I think they do a better job now preparing folks. But the funny thing is, is that even with the preparation, they're still seeing the same number of people quit. So like at the end, they're still getting to this, this, you know, this core group of folks that for whatever reason has, has been able to figure out, um, the mental game a little bit better than others.
0: Yeah. And that's so interesting, right? Because that's, I mean, just the mindset training in general has really just like taken off only recently, I feel like. Is it a conversation that's being widely had in every arena, in every, you know, in business, in just literally everything. Um, And so, you know, athletes hiring mindset coaches and all, you know, CEOs having mindset coaches and, and the training on leadership. But, you know, so it seems like you know, with with the Navy SEAL, you can yeah, you can teach all that stuff, but there's a certain mindset that you're kind of born into through, you know, how you're raised or you know, circumstances that are beyond you that you're just put into um that might be the difference maker. But now, like, you know, there is so much more training than we can do. Have you did you ever read um Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, by the way?
1: I did. I, I actually took a course uh from Angela at Penn. Uh, When I was going through grad school and um, obviously someone that is not naturally good at anything. I was a big fan of her, of her research and in determining that grit more than anything else is the number one determining factor for success. So um, yeah, I love, I love her work and her research.
0: I absolutely love and adore her work and her research as well. And the, her that book to anybody who's listening, if you have not read Grit by Angela Duckworth, absolutely unequivocally read that book. It was it was major. I I, I loved it. Um, but yeah, you don't. It's it's that that it's it's mindset. Once again, like developing and, and grit and, and cultivating grit is something that you can create within yourself. It doesn't have to be something that like you are born with right because like as i was saying prior you know it used to be that it used to be like you know you succeed based on you know these these factors that you can't even put your finger on that are all related to mindset and those who have it have it and those who don't don't but now there are you know trainings and things where you can develop and cultivate mindset that a mindset that can kind of set you up for success in in your life as well which is it's just i don't know that's why i do this podcast because i'm <laughs> hugely fascinated by the mind and the brain and the fact that like, we don't have to just take what we're given in this life. Like we can create every single one of us. We have the power to create whatever life we want to create. If we're willing to work on our mindset and, and God, just believe in ourselves, you know?
1: So true. So true. And I think, you know, the the interesting thing about the mindset stuff and, and maybe why, you know, even with preparing um people going through seal training now they're not seeing any impacts on the on the attrition rates is that mindset i think is something that is gets forged and cultivated over time and so it's hard to condense a mindset intervention down to something that's a really short period of time and and um and meaningfully affect someone when they're under, you know, incredible amounts of stress. I think rather this is these mindsets are things that we build in small ways over prolonged periods of time that can help set us up and buffer us against shocks and um, challenges that we might face. And so there's a great scientist and researcher out of Stanford who named Carol Dweck, and most of her research is around this 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 concept that she coined called growth mindset. And the growth mindset really is understanding that when you encounter friction, um, or you encounter adversity, that that is what it feels like to get better, that you index, um, challenges with like growth and not that when you, when you encounter a challenge that you, you, you encounter in such a way as that tells you that you're not going to be successful or that you're not the type of person that can be, that you're going to, you know, uh, succeed at whatever it is you're trying to. So this, this, almost this ability to frame everything in the term of, in the, in the lens of I am always growing, I'm getting better. And when I feel stuck or I'm having to work hard, this is what it feels like to get better and to be excited about that. And so it's kind of a cool thing. And the, and the research around that is that even just by being aware that, that there is such thing as a growth mindset, the alternative is a fixed mindset where you would, you would encounter um, these things as signs that you're not gonna be successful, you're not capable, but even being aware that these two mindsets exist, you start to identify ways that you can lean into and build that growth mindset over time and so obviously the more time you spend building those mindsets the more robust that circuitry gets and the and the more powerful the uh, the effects are for you
0: right we have to spend time learning it cultivating it growing it all, all of that. I love that. Uh, I was going to ask also in terms of before we move on beyond the uh, Navy SEAL talk, but uh, there was something I read once about being a Navy SEAL, which was the 10-foot rule. And hopefully I'm getting this right, you tell me. Um, and it is the rule to focus on what is happening 10 feet from where you are. And I was wondering because... I loved that as an analogy for life, right? As a way to stay present in life. You know, we the definition of anxiety is worrying about things that could happen or might happen but not really, you know, what's actually happening in your life. And so we can, you know, save ourselves from a lot of our stressors and the things that really, you know, knock us off of our, you know, rocker in terms of of our mental stability if we focus on being present and staying in the present moment. So is that a real thing, the 10 foot rule? And are there other rules that you have found that are really neat that were for maybe come like being out there in the world and saving people or you know what you guys do that also apply to, to life?
1: Yeah. Um, so I hadn't heard that. I haven't heard it framed that way before in the 10 foot rule, but I think there's some version of this um, that that we certainly lean into and leverage. And the, the way that I like to talk about it is that this, when you recognize that you have the ability to move the horizon or the finish line to a place that feels not only, not only inspires you to get into action, but also, um, to a place where you feel confident and capable that you can get to, that's a really important thing. It's almost, it's a superpower that that we have. Right. And so when you start something like hell week, where you're going to be awake for five and a half days, and, um, you're not gonna, you're going to be cold and wet. And it's this, it's this big, Crucible event, going through seal training. When you start it, and you try to think about the entire week, it's it's overwhelming because in the first five minutes, you're cold, you're already cold and tired and wet, and everyone starts kind of under the weather, and so um, you have to pull that that horizon in much closer, and you can't think about the full week. You have to think about all right, I'm going to make it to the next meal, or I'm going to make it through this next evolution. Or sometimes it's, Hey, I can see 10 feet in front of me and I know I can make it that next 10 feet. And that's what I'm going to focus on right now. But knowing that you have the ability to move that, whatever that, that, that horizon, that finish line out to a place that feels manageable to you is really, really important because it allows you to basically handle whatever comes your way. And it doesn't matter if it's in training, if it's in combat, if it's, at home, under lockdown, with kids and stress, like we always have, this ability to move to a place or move that um, that finish line to a place that feels manageable, com- you know, that induces you know a feeling of calm and certainty that we can get to where we need to go. So, I think that I think that's really really important.
0: Is that something they taught you, or just something you did your, on your own to get you through the training?
1: Yeah, they they didn't really teach us. Um, in any specific way other than training was a forcing function for that. Like you very quickly realized that, man, if I focus on the entirety of these events or the entirety of training, I'm never going to make it. I have to, I have to break it up into manageable, in, into manageable chunks. And, you know, oftentimes I think this idea of being present is, is gets held up as like, this is the ideal state if we're present all the time and that's where we want to be. But the truth is, is that we can exist in the past. We can exist in the present. We can exist in the future. We can, you know, look out towards something that is far off in the distance or something that's much closer in. And the fact that we have the ability to direct our attention across all of these different Areas, I think, gives us more tools to to pull on and to lean and to lean into. So, if I need to be inspired, and maybe looking out at the mountaintop in front of me is the thing that, like, oh wow, well, I'm going to go climb this thing. Like that's inspiring. Like let's let's rally up and let's get fired up about that. And then at other times, maybe it's thinking about, well, look at all the all the progress that I've made and all the work that I've done, and sit in that for a little bit. And let that be the thing that inspires you to say, okay, like, let's finish strong and let's, let's, you know, re-engage this. I mean, think just that ability to, to toggle between states of mind and, um, direct your attention, you know, either zooming out or zooming in, uh, is something that I think knowing you can do it and knowing that, um, there is no one way, but you have to figure out what the right way is for you to handle whatever challenges you might be facing is important.
0: I love that. I love that. I love that. Because that is so true. Everyone talks about that. Be, be present, be present, be present constantly. Um, and I love breaking down the things that are like Kind of trending, if you will. Mm. Uh, I love breaking those ideas down, and I have always been a huge, 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 um, you know, fan of looking backwards too. Because I think when we when we do constantly look forward, because it isn't, it is important, right, to set goals for yourself. But I think like the target sometimes does feel so incredibly far away, and then you just all, you automatically forget about everything you've ever accomplished before, every yeah. single obstacle you've faced, everything, every challenge you've overcome, and so it makes it really hard to be proud of yourself and i think it's really important to be proud of yourself yeah. and and so moving that horizon i think is 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 great so like if you're someone who you know you're you're beginning your fitness journey let's say and maybe you want to get into running and you want to run a mile you know don't focus on Actually, doing that per se, the first time you go out to, to you know and hit the pavement, it's like okay, I'm going to run to the stop sign, and then go out to that you know wherever the stop sign is, and then the next day you're like okay, I'm going to run to the stop sign, or run to the stop sign, or run to the stop sign, and then eventually you're going to reach that stop sign, and you're like ah, uh, I think I can keep going, and like you're just going to keep. You know, continuing to move that needle forward. Um, but I think that's a great way to look at it is you know, don't let your target always be something that's so, so incredibly far in the distance because it doesn't give you a lot of room to feel good about yourself today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as and you move towards it. It's so, such a good point that especially for you know for high performers or high achievers, they are always focused on Bigger, faster, better, stronger, like whatever the next thing is. And you never, it, it, it's sometimes you can fall into a trap where you actually don't sit um, and take time to recognize the wins and to recognize all the great stuff that you've done and to like really savor and celebrate. And I think that's important because in doing so, it helps you. Build even greater positive momentum, and that momentum can be a really powerful force to carry you through days when things don't go well, or you get knocked off course. Or I always like to say, life gets a vote, and like uh, there's only so many things that we can control. And so, making sure you're taking time to celebrate those wins and to check in with, you know, all the great stuff that you're doing and the progress you're making, I think is is incredibly important. Something that I know I could do a better job of, and and a lot of people that I work with, um, I think it's something that we could all benefit from
0: yeah celebrating your wins celebrating your w's all the time <laughs> um so you know how similar you know we're in the age of right now of you know the olympics are happening and these athletes are training for this this you know this ultimate event uh, and they train for four years for their sport, right. For this like giant competition uh, on the world stage and the level of like, you know, performance anxiety, they must experience some of them and the mindset they go through, you know, are there, is there overlap, you know, between being an Navy SEAL, do you think, and, and, and being an Olympian and what these athletes are facing?
1: I, I think uh, 100%. I mean, I would say, the stakes are maybe a little bit different. You know, one is life and death. Um, the right. other, the other is not. But I would say, at an individual level, they probably both feel very much the same way, right? And so, you know, if if you've trained for four years or you've spent your whole life trying to make it to this event or make it into the Olympics and, and you're going to be judged in your performance and, you know, in one take or, you know, one run down a mountain, then that's a ton of pressure. And if you're not able to perform, then it's going to feel very much like death to you, or it's going to the stress associated with it would not be unlike what you might feel and in combat, I would say. And so, um, yeah I think uh, there's a lot of parallels there and and it's been interesting to watch this Olympics. you know we've seen a number of athletes that really had really high expectations that maybe didn't meet those expectations, whether they were personal expectations or um those placed upon them by the global community. And it just makes you realize like, look, these people are humans too. Uh, they experience pressure the way the same way that we all experience pressure. And I think the thing that I've just come to appreciate is that, the tools that they leverage and the things that help set them up for success to perform in their events are the same things that all of us can leverage and lean into to perform in our everyday lives. You know, we have uh, an advisor at, at made for actually a former teammate of mine, Dan Knosson. He's a uh, he's an Olympian. Um, he's won, I believe, six medals to date. Getting ready to go off to China here in a couple of weeks to compete in the Paralympics. And Dan always says, you know, the thing that I try to focus most on is um, letting go of expectations. And so not letting the past dictate the present and and the tool that he uses for that is his breath is that he just, he's a, he does the biathlon is one of his events where he's, he's skiing really hard and then, uh, doing high performance shooting and then skiing really hard. And he said that, um, you know, I can use my breath as a way to let go and refocus and let go and refocus. And I'm constantly existing in that headspace and playing that game. And, Um, and it really, it's really worked for him. And it's funny when I, I talked to him a a week ago, I was like, you know, how are you feeling going to these Olympics? And he's like, you know, honestly, he's like, for me, it's not about the medals. He's like, I don't really, he's like, I have zero expectations for myself. He said, I just want to give it, I want to do the best that I can. And, um, and then everything else is, you know, is what it is. And so I think it's a great, you know, one, it's obviously a great mindset for him to not feel the pressure of performing the Olympics, but probably a great mindset that we can all benefit from and leverage is this idea of, um, maybe letting go of expectations, but just trying to identify these ways that we can show up and perform better in our our own lives. So,
0: man, I got to figure out how to let go of expectations. (laughs) I need a lesson on that for sure, man, that is, that's a hard one for me. That's a really hard one. Cause I, I think cause I'm a dreamer. Yeah. So it's hard for me to just say I'm just going to show up and do my very best and then like, you know, whatever comes comes. But me, I'm just like, man, I'm I'm like, well, but if this works out, then x, y, and z could happen and then and then all this could happen and my brain is going in like a million miles, you know, a minute in, in a positive way, right? right. Of like cuz I I'm a I'm like a hyper positive person. I really really am. I've kind of always been this way. And so and I, you know, I'm a life coach as well, so I train my clients, and and also in my Soul Cycle class all the time. I always will say, you know, why is it that human beings will naturally go to the worst case scenario? I'm like, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> why, if you're gonna, you know, future trip and you're gonna dream about the future, why don't you go someplace that's really awesome? Why don't you like think about all the things that could go right uh, and how it could turn out and work out in your favor? And think about all the things that you're doing well. Yeah. Uh, and so and so, I I, I really lean into positive positivity in that way. But I also think it's a double-edged sword because, you know, then if it doesn't work out, I do. My expectations are set so high because I, I just dream of all the things that could happen in a good way.
1: Well, I I mean, I think like, look, their expectations have a role to play. And I think the, the, the best thing that anyone can do is just figure out is something helping you or is it hurting you? Is it, is it helping you bring you closer towards what um, you care most about, or is it taking you away from that? And so your expectations inspire you to act and inspire you to perform. And they're, they're a source of, you know, energy and positivity for you, then that's amazing. But if you find at some point that expectations are actually holding you back or limiting your performance, then, then maybe it's, you know, maybe it's time to kind of, to relook, relook at that. And the research around um, performing, Performing and pressure is really interesting. And we, we have this sense that or we have this idea that um, there are some people that are just really good at performing under pressure, They're clutch, and um, they just handle pressure better than others. But the research shows that uh, pressure always impairs performance. Doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the event is. But if you're feeling pressure for whatever reason, it is going to limit your performance. Now, some people have have developed practices and tools to to not feel pressure. But again, if you're feeling pressure and if your expectations are imparting pressure upon you, guaranteed, it is impacting your performance in a way that um, maybe isn't serving you best. So,
0: interesting. I heard recently, and I, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. You know in terms of like the pressure that we feel it's also you know something we can do a tool to put in your toolbox rather is like relabeling what you feel yeah someone told me that when you feel excited and when you feel nervous and scared about something, those are actually the same exact feelings. We just label them differently. Yeah. And so if you can say when you're really, really nervous about like a job interview or, or something you need to perform well at or want to perform well at, you know, you can say, oh, like replace the label for that and be like, no, I'm not nervous. I'm just really, really excited. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that before.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so true. I've got a, um, a former professor and friend, Adam Grant, who, who talks about this. But, you know, you, some people get the butterflies before they're giving a, a speech. And, and you can interpret that. I mean, you, your body is reacting as a physiological response. And you can interpret that one of two ways. One is that, like, oh, well, I'm nervous. I'm not going to do well. Like, things are going to go bad. Um, that's one way to interpret it. The other way to interpret it is, like, oh, wow, my body is actually priming me to perform. Like it is giving me the energy that I need. It's getting me focused. It's like this excitement that I'm feeling is actually fuel to help me perform at my best. And how you choose to interpret um, that physiological response can in large part dictate how you experience the event and the pressure that you feel and ultimately how you perform. So yeah, I'm I'm really glad you called that out. It's an important point.
0: Yeah. Just label label it differently. (laughs) Tell yourself, you know you're excited.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that the, I mean, the, the truth of it is like, you can't fake your way through any of this, right? You genuinely have to feel this. And so it's, it's not enough to, um, you know, you take something like gratitude and I know gratitude has been, is in vogue and everyone talks about it. And like, it's not enough to just write out three things that you're grateful for every night, uh, and to go through the motions and expect that you're going to get anything from that practice. You actually have to feel and evoke the sensation of what does it mean to be grateful for something? Like how can I, um, uh, cultivate this, you know, this mindset where I'm actually feeling and savoring into these things that I'm thankful for. And if the degree that you feel that, and actually feel connected to what you're writing, That's where the power is. And that's where, you know, you're going to see the benefits. And so we can't go through these motions and whatever we do, whether it's, you know, labeling a a bodily sensation or it's going through gratitude or, you know, whatever the thing may be, you actually have to, um, it has to feel real to you and genuine, genuine to you. You can't fake your way through it.
0: That is true. Cause I write, I do write three things I'm grateful for every day <laughs> yeah. as part of my journaling process. Um, that's what I begin with, but I, I, yeah, cultivating just also just feeling it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I dig that. I think I knew that, but I wasn't really considering it cause I do rush through it some days, mm. you know? I'm like, yeah, I'm grateful that uh, you know my my dog. I walked my dog today. You know what I mean? I just rushed through it yeah. instead of like actually feeling the sense of bodily sensations of like what it is to be grateful, and that's and and feeling that inside just you know brings attracts more of it. So hmm. it's interesting. All right, so. Navy SEAL to then you transitioned out of being a Navy SEAL. I left the SEAL team and went to business school, a very reputable reputable school as well. So, you know, what did you study in school? And then, you know, what made this shift and transition? What was that like for you? Um, And then we'll obviously get into made for, and I want to talk about all that that is and what it encompasses.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I, I would say leaving the teams is one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. I love that community. And I, I, you know, for all intents and purposes grew up my entire adult life. I'd grown up in the military and so um, it was a hard thing to walk away from, but I recognized at some point that I love jumping and diving and shooting and blowing things up and traveling around and all the, all the, you know, the bright shiny things about being a seal. But what I loved most was working with a small group of committed people um, on really hard mission sets to create positive outsized effects. So with a small group of committed people, can we make a big positive difference in the world? Um, And I got that in spades in the, in the SEAL teams. And um, I started to realize that I didn't have to be in the military in order to do that, that I could, you know, change out my tool set, maybe go to business school, acquire some new, some new skills, some new tools, but ultimately come back together with a small group of people and work on a a mission that I cared about and and make a big positive difference. And so that was my focus going in. I I studied uh, entrepreneurial management and finance and really just learned a little bit about what the business world was all about. It was completely foreign to me. But what was interesting about that experience is one of the classes that I took was actually an undergraduate class that I audited taught by Angela Duckworth. And her course was an oh. int- Yeah. So come full circle. Her course was a an introduction to the field of positive psychology. And um, I'm not someone that's into like soft guru type things, but I thought this course sounded interesting and I knew I was familiar with Angela's work. And so I wanted to check it out. And what she talked about and um, this is a, a field that's really been championed and, and built out of the University of Pennsylvania and uh, under Dr. Martin Seligman was this idea that in any intervention, be it you know physical health or mental health or behavioral health, there are really two sides to the equation. one side is we can focus on harm reduction bad behaviors, uh, minimizing, you know, downside risks. So what are the things that we have to stop doing or what are the diseases that we can treat? And they, and and the whole field of positive psychology said, you know, that's great. That's only half the equation. The other half of the equation is what are the positive things that we can be in pursuit of, be they habits or mindsets or things in our environment or uh, relationships we can cultivate, things that we can do that, that are in line with the way that our brain and body are designed that help us unlock our capacity for good and ultimately set us into a a place of flourishing and living a better life. And, um, so that course for me, was like, oh, this is amazing. This is, all great stuff. It mapped a lot, uh, very much to what I was seeing in the SEAL teams, those 17 people leverage, but also, um, they had all of these studies to back up. So these were, these were, you know, rigorous or long, long-term and, uh, a significant amount of like research studies that had gone into this field and were proving out the things they were talking about. And so I love that. And from the, from the time I took that course, uh, until I ended up starting Made for, I knew that there was something I wanted to do in the space of helping people unlock their potential, focus on doing good, growing the good inside themselves, and ultimately growing the growing the good in the world. Um, and so that eventually led to what became Made for.
0: I have to say, this is a common theme. I feel like I find and I talk about a lot, you know, on my podcast is people they work so hard to reach some sort of pinnacle of success that they deem, you know, the top of their mountain, whatever it may be for the for people. And when they get there, a lot of times I think people think they're meant to just stay there. You know, and and what I realize is like, okay, if like the if everything changed or maybe you find burnout in the thing that you're in or you want to do something different, like Think about all the things that you love about what you do, and extract those things from what you do, and then ask yourself, how can you create something else that you love just as much? Because the answer is, you actually definitely 100 percent can. We all can. And I'm such a big believer in that, because, you know, I, I've told, talked about it so much on this podcast, but you, know, the things that I knew should be true about myself, you know, I never knew that they would come in the vessel of, you know, a stationary bike. Hmm. and so that's the vessel that i've 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 leaned on for the last almost 10 years now um but is that the only mode of in which I can feel like I'm living my life with purpose and on purpose and and doing things that make me feel like me and make me feel alive? Like, no, of course not. There's so many different avenues that I can pursue and we all can pursue that, that really ignite who we are and ignite the things that we love about ourselves and the things that we love to share with the world. Uh, and so I think I I just really always love touching on that topic because People just, I think a lot of times they reach some kind some sort of, you know, coveted success or something that they always dreamt of. And then they hang out there for a while and then they somehow feel burnt out or find unhappiness or they, you know, they feel like it might be time to transition, but they're like, well, what do I do now? Um, so I think it's just important to really get quiet with yourself and extract what it is that you love about what you do. And then ask yourself, like, where can those characteristics and those things fit elsewhere?
1: Yeah, it's, I just think it's such a, such a great point. Yeah. Um, that you know thinking about what are the what are the through lines that are that are meaningful to you and that uh, inspire you and how what are all the different ways that, that can come to life because it's it's definitely not just on a bike it's not in the military uniform it's not in whatever it can be in a lot of different ways and i think the other part of this is that life isn't lived on the mountaintop life is lived in the climb and in the journey right and so the majority of our life 99.99% of our life is not standing on some pinnacle or standing at the end of some race or standing at some completion point it's everything in between um, those finish lines and so i always talk to I always talk to folks and tell them look like the goal is to make the destination the journey can you make that final end state of what you think where you think happiness is and instead instead of making it be something that you're working to achieve make that part of your everyday journey and how you're moving through life and if you can do that the destinations take care of themselves and they can come in a in a bunch of different forms and so i think it's a it's a really important point you're touching on
0: yeah Wildly important. I mean, Blake, your your co-founder is a great example of that. I mean, the guy created Tom's Shoes, which was kind of one of the first companies that really pioneered this give back, right? Component yeah. to a brand, to a mission, to a company uh, where they were not just all profit. They were like, we're going to, you know, every pair of shoes you buy, we're going to give one to a child in need. That like really hadn't been done on a large, it kind of hadn't really been done on a large scale the way they did it. Um, and then now, you know, you guys are doing made for, uh, so let's talk about what made for Let's talk about it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's such a great, it's such a great segue going from uh, Tom's to made for, because I think, you know, Blake is largely considered the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the founder or the the champion of social entrepreneurship. He's the thing, he's the person that inspired so many others. He he showed that this is a real business model and that people can um people can do well and do good at the same time. And so the through line for him wasn't wasn't, Hey, I've got to sell shoes for the rest of my life in order to do this. The, the through line was how can I make business a force for good? And, and he wanted to prove that out in as many ways as possible throughout his entire life. And so I think made for is very much a continuation of that. Um, we came together, this was probably five years ago now. Uh, Blake and I, we take, surf trips every year. We've got a a group of friends that we get together and we're on one of these trips. And Blake asked a question in the group, if you could work on anything um, and just really commit to a passion project, what would that be? And kind of went around the table, everyone had different answers. And it said, when he got to me, I said, you know, I've always been interested in this idea of human performance and human potential and helping people realize that they're capable of more than they ever thought possible. Um, And so that was really it. And then uh, the trip ended and about a week later, Uh, I get an email from Blake and he's like, Hey, that thing that you talked about, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I'm really into that as well. Like, let's, let's get together and figure out what this could be. I I think we could, we could build a business around this. And so, um, short while later, we got together, we got together and started working on some different ideas. And you know, what came out of that was we aligned around this mission of if we can help people again, show up better in their own lives, then the knock on effects of that are, um, they're going to show up better for everyone else around them. They're going to lift the collective up in, in taking care of themselves. And so uh, that was with that at the time I was at Google, I left Google and we, we started working on on what would become made for. And, you know, one of the first people that we brought on is, uh, has since become you know, uber popular over the last 10 months, but this was four years ago that um, I brought uh, Andrew Huberman on. Andrew's a neuroscientist out of Stanford. He runs a Huberman lab podcast and, Um, one of the things that Andrew studies in his lab is neuroplasticity and this idea that Over the entire course of our life, we have the ability to change our brain, that we can self direct brain change. And you can view changing the brain as a proxy for changing mindset or changing behaviors or changing, you know, in some ways, changing our lives, that we have this ability over the entire course of our life. And so, brought Andrew in and then brought a whole bunch of other really smart people uh, with deep domain expertise from, you know, Harvard and National Institute of Mental Health and chronobiologists and um, psychiatrists and you know behavior change experts and physiologists, and really brought them all together and said, if you could take everything that you know, all of the research that you've done and all the science you've been exposed to, and if you could distill it down to its smallest, most essential thing and tell someone, hey, I just want you to do this one thing for a period of time, what would you have someone do? Um, And from that, through that lens, we started curating and distilling out the science. And then we ended up building this program of Made For. So Made For is a program where we help people develop not only better habits, but ultimately better mindsets. And then the downstream effect of that is a better life, where we help people discover their best way to to live. Um, And we do that by visiting 10 foundational habits, things like hydration, gratitude, movement, rest, nature, vision, clarity, uh, fuel. So all of these foundational things that maybe we know inherently are good for us, but for one reason or another, we've lost the connection with, uh, the capacity that we can, we can engage these to actually, you know really derive maximum benefit from it and so our program once a, you know every month we focus on one foundational practice uh, we um, deliver the science the tools the steps and support to get someone into action in a small way these are just a few minutes a day but uh, they sum to great effect so that over the course of the program you you get to the end of the program and it's not that you have a checklist of 10 things you have to do every day to live your best life but rather that your reflexive self what just how you're moving through your day and how you're encountering challenges or frictions or setbacks um, are different. You're reflexively better than you were before you started the program, and, and that's that's what we've built.
0: Wow! So that's like rewiring your brain, rewiring yeah. your how you move through each day, beginning with small practices.
1: That's it. I just it's the smallest of steps. So we're we're very. Um, uh, very prescriptive around how we direct your attention and effort around these small moments of time, uh, using these foundational practices. But the way that you the way that you engage the program and uh, and the results of it are that um, your brain changes, your body changes, your habits change, your life changes, and you just feel more capable, more confident, and and more inspired to to show up. And um, it's been awesome to see we've. We've been at this for for a couple of years now. We spent about a year developing the program, a year uh, in beta, and for the last two years, we've been serving the general public. and We've worked with about ten thousand, just over ten thousand members to date, and uh, it's been awesome to see people go through this program and, and and have their lives changed in really big ways by doing some some very small things.
0: Wow, that's incredible! That's absolutely incredible. I mean, I think we all want to feel more capable and and more confident. You know. Yeah.
1: Well, I think look the the challenge in the in the marketplace for people is that we're all constrained, right? We have limited resources, whether it's money or time, or um, just there's so many demands placed upon us. And when we feel under pressure, under stress, we want to reach for the quickest, easiest solution to our pain point or our problem. And so whether that's a pill or a powder or a lotion or a you know a hack or whatever the quick fix is, the the marketplace is pushing us to go for quick fixes. But what we know is that those things don't last, they don't work. And, and actually what they end up doing is depriving you of your own agency. So um, you engage something for a little bit, maybe you feel better for a short period of time, but then the effects of that thing fade and, and then you feel actually less confident, less capable and achieving whatever it is that you hope to achieve. And so, our program is very much around helping someone reestablish agency and control over um over their lives and over their health and their well-being and um yeah it's been it's just it's fun to it's fun to serve our community and you know we've got a, you know team of awesome advisors and the you know one of the things that always talk about our program. And that's, I think, different from us, as opposed to maybe another thing that you might encounter on the market is that there is a finite end state for our program. It's not like, Hey, we're, we're selling you things for the rest of your life, but there is this program. You, you start at a certain point in time, you finish at a certain point in time and, and then you get the benefits and the benefits last because of the way that we've designed it. And I always, always tell our members, you know, when they're starting this, that, um, If you have to look at an app, a screen, a device, a piece of technology or someone else to tell you how you're performing or feeling, uh, you've missed a critical first step. And that first step is really what is your body telling you? And are you attuned and present to the signals and cues your body is giving you and how you can respond to those uh, in, a pres- in the present moment to bring out your best? And we help people that the scientific term for this is interoceptive awareness. That is circuitry that we work on with our members. Uh, and the, the research around that is pretty clear. If you can develop more robust uh, circuitry around this, then all metrics of well being and wellness go in a, in a better direction. So, Anyways, that's a little bit about our program is we inspire people to get offline and into action in in ways that sum to great effect.
0: I love that. Uh, And really internalizing and being able to just kind of I don't know, really lean on ourselves and our inner knowing because we actually know so much more than we give ourselves credit for. We really do. Yeah. We really, really do. Like we know our next step. We know our next, we know everything, but we just don't listen to ourselves and we don't like become, I don't know, attuned to ourselves. Uh So that's really, really neat. Um Yeah. I mean, on, I, I was looking at the Made For website. There's not like Is it like you kind of learn more about the principles, like once you're on the inside kind of thing, like, can you share like what, like what your favorite principle or practice is that you like, that you kind of.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I'll, maybe I'll talk about, so we, we start everyone with, um, with hydration. And I think the thing that always surprises people about this month is this is something that we, most of us come into this, like, all right, we drink water. Like I got it. I don't need someone to tell me to drink more water. No,
0: I'm terrible at drinking water.
1: So
0: I'm really, really, really bad at it. So let's talk about it really quickly. So,
1: (laughs) you know, so there's a couple of interesting things when it comes to hydration. One is that at a very low deficit and one to 2% of our total body water, um, sometimes, and especially as we age that deficit, um, Uh, exists before we actually get triggers for thirst, where we say, I need to drink some water, right? And so you can exist in a state of chronic dehydration very easily, and especially as you get older, it's very easy to fall into that state. But in an order of one to 2%, you actually have very real physical and cognitive impairments to your performance. And so you might not even realize that, you know, you're facing these headwinds or that you're impaired in any way, but that those small impairments over time maybe put you in a place where you lose agency, where in the afternoon, instead of doing one thing, you do something else because, um, uh, you feel like this is the way to overcome that afternoon fatigue, or you feel like I need a, I need a pill to take care of this headache, or I need, you know, I need a coffee or I need whatever the thing is. Um, you've lost a little bit of, um, your capacity to perform at your best just because you're not, uh, you're not witting and aware to uh, what's going on with your hydration levels. And so we use hydration uh, really as an entry point to the overall program and methodology of, of our approach, which is very much focused on these small steps over time. And we use this um, this framework that, that Andrew's developed of attention reward reinforcement. So we direct your attention onto a small thing that you do. Uh, we create some awareness around the, the beneficial effects of that small thing. So in this case, it's drinking hydration or drinking water and how you feel better and how it's impacting your energy levels and your maybe your hunger levels or uh, you know, it has a lot of knock-on effects and impacts, and then reinforcement. So at the end of every day, uh, we ask our, our members to um, write a small little reflection around how they felt that day. And so uh, for those of you that are listening, you can't see this, but um, we have these every month, we have a, a tool that goes along with the challenge. And so we have this water bottle with these beads it's a really nice class water bottle that we designed. But the challenge for our members that month is to track how much water you drink every day um, and to write a short reflection around how much you drank and how you felt. And so, two things happen there. One is um, we don't tell you how much to drink because hydration requirements are unique to the individual. So, it's not eight cups of water or 100 ounces or whatever. Like, throw all of those things out of the window. What we want you to focus on is. How much are you drinking and how are you feeling? Again, tuning back into what signals is your body telling you and how are you, how can you respond in a way that makes your body feel better. Um, So what we hear from people at the end of this month is not only are a lot of people drinking more water uh, and it's just coming naturally and easily. And um, even people that had an aversion to water thought that they drank a lot of water find that they're drinking more water. So, And they're feeling the beneficial effects of that. But two, when you start to pay attention to a small thing you do every day and understand how it's affecting you, your awareness to the other small ways that you're directing your attention and effort across the day, also get amplified. So members come through the end of that first month and they're like, wow, actually, Now I was more attuned to when I came home from work and I was with my kids, I was more present with my kids or I was more attuned to what I was eating or I was more attuned to, uh, that my body really just needed to get up and move. And I was too stationary throughout the day. And so there's some really interesting knock-on effects that, uh, we build on through the course of the program. So, um, that's an example of one month. Uh, again, it seems very, very simple, but, um, there is, again, we have all the, the testimonials and to prove it is that. That the way that we engage you uh, over this sustained period of time really leads to some some big transformations for folks, um, and in a way that in no you know there's no point in our program where we tell you to stop doing something or to avoid this or you know this food is bad or this thing is bad. We just we really help you focus on something that you can control that when you can control it, it feels positive. And the end state of that is that people realize that there is no one way to live life or to live a best life. There are many ways. Um, and we all have our own way and we have to figure out what our own best path is.
0: Wow. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I love it. I could, I feel like I could literally talk to you all day. Um, but I will ask you one more question just to be mindful of your time. Um, and I will be drinking more water. Uh, but what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger
1: self? Ooh, best piece of advice for my younger self. Um, I would say maybe the best piece of advice there, there are two, there's two parts to it. And it's the same thing that, uh, that we stress to our members all the time. One is never underestimate the power of a small step, that these small steps compound over time in really, uh, transformational ways. And, um, can take you anywhere you want to go. And so value the small step. And then the second part of that is to be kind to yourself and to recognize that, um, that's, it's important that you be your own best teammate and to know that, um, that life gets a vote and you're not going to do everything perfect. And and there doesn't matter if you're a seal or you're, um, a soul cycle instructor that, uh, life gets a vote and we're going to get knocked off course from time to time. Um, but it's less about when we get knocked off course or when we, when we maybe fall short and and it's more about how we respond to that. And if we can use those as opportunities to extend our self grace and self compassion and be kind to ourselves, then that can be really clean fuel for us to re-engage when the time is right. Uh, and ultimately allow us to achieve more than we ever thought possible. So small steps and, uh, be kind.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed this
1: conversation. Yeah, this was amazing. I really enjoyed it uh, as well. And uh, thank you for the work you do to to help spread uh, spread these messages. This is awesome.
0: Boom, you guys. I what did I tell you? I told you it was this episode. I feel like is one that I'm going to listen to over and over and over again. Like I'm just going to come back to it. Um, and in in the intro of this podcast episode, I feel like I talked about what I loved most about this episode, and and what I loved most. Was truly the simplicity in everything that he talks about, right? Like, I'm wildly drawn to simplicity. Like, I loved how he talked about moving the horizon closer and focusing on, you know, the next task, the next action step, the next thing. And if you could just get to that thing, then you can, you know, move the needle a little bit further, move the needle a little bit further. And I'm, I don't know about you, like that's something that I find to be super, super helpful because there's so many goals that I have and dreams that I have, and I'm sure you do too, but like sometimes they just feel so far away. They just feel like they're just like way far out in the distance. And so it's like, okay, well, it is going to require a certain amount of baby steps to get to where you're trying to go. And so if we could just focus on the next baby step and the next baby step and the next baby step, all of a sudden I feel like you look up and you're like, oh, wow like I did the thing, I made it to the place, I reached the top, you know, and, and then you begin again at the bottom, of course, but I don't know. Uh, that's, that's kind of how I try to live my life really is just to find simple approaches to things. I think we, we just try to overcomplicate things way too often. And, and the simple approach always seems to be the best approach. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this episode, you guys. Uh definitely check out made for check out, uh, Pat Dossett, uh, find him on Instagram, uh, find them on Instagram. I'm going to link all of their stuff in the podcast notes. Uh, but you know, of course, follow us at very best self follow me at Victoria Brown, five stars. We love a review. Make sure you're subscribed, all the stuff. Thanks for being a part of the BB squad and, uh, I'll see you guys next week.